0: Why don't we stand together and bless the name of the Lord. Can you lift your hands or clap your hands and lift your voice, magnify the name of Jesus together. God, we're glad to be in the house of the Lord today. We praise and worship you this morning, Lord. Hallelujah. We lift you up, God. Praise God. While you're standing, let's go to the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 2 and uh, We'll begin reading at verse 19. Amen. I wanna thank all of you for being here. Welcome you in the name of the Lord. It is good to see you today. All of you joining us online. God bless you. We're welcome you. We're praying for you in Jesus' name. First Peter 2, beginning at verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto when you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. For just a few minutes of your time this morning, I'm going to teach, preach on this subject, acceptable suffering. Acceptable suffering. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, we declare it and believe it that this is your church and not ours. And you and your word alone saves and delivers and heals. You know every situation, person, struggle, issue, and we thank you that your word is anointed and appointed for this moment in time. So now in the authority of your word, Lord, let every spirit of hindrance be bound and cast out, and Lord, let us come to the full realization of what you want to say today, for without you, we are nothing. Lord Jesus, let there be a demonstration of your spirit and confirm your word with signs following today, and let me walk in your spirit and not my flesh, in Jesus' name, and would everyone say, amen? amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Now, <clears throat> with a title like Acceptable Suffering, I'm sure it's maybe already caused some of you to say, Hmm, I wonder where this is going. I wonder what this message is all going to be about. Well, let me explain why, besides God talking to my spirit, why I chose this title. In verse 20, It says, for what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you should take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, there's that word suffer or suffering, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And so from those two words in that verse, acceptable and suffer, is my title, acceptable suffering. You see, if we patiently endure through the suffering of the consequences of of our own wrongdoing, well, there's no credit for that. And all of us have sinned. All of us have come short. And all of us know that sometimes there is that baggage that comes along with what we used to do. Now, we should not let it discourage us. We should not let it remind us of our past because we're certainly forgiven by the grace of God. We should neither think that we're less of a person but we all know that sometimes consequences come as the result of something that we did. So if, if we suffer for that, that's, we don't get necessarily credit for that. We just we're persevering. praise God. But if we suffer when we don't deserve it, if we patiently endure when we're doing good and we suffer for it, God receives that as an acceptable. Sacrifice, God says, I'm pleased with that because they're enduring some sort of unjust suffering. They don't deserve it. Now, no one likes to suffer. I I have yet to meet a person who raises their hand and volunteers and says, "Pick me, I'd like to suffer this week." <laughs> I don't. I don't. I've never. If If you're here, come talk to me. After you'll be the first person I've ever met in my life that. that Wants to suffer. Um, and it's also a topic that is avoided often in postmodern Christianity today. If you were to turn on any kind of uh, church today of, of many sorts, you might hear some prosperity type messages that would declare that if you're suffering, you're not really blessed. If you're going through stuff, you're not really blessed. But since we're a Bible believing church, Let's take just a few moments to explore some verses that I think are important to understand suffering and what the Bible says. Because I want to see what the Bible says, not what some man's opinion says. Romans 8 verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul here is saying, we've got to weigh the temporal present suffering that we're going through against the eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read it from the New Living. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even though we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. In other words, once we've gone through it, we can help you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Here, Paul is saying, hey, the reason I'm going through this is because I can help you when you go through it. He's also saying, the more I suffer, the more God comforts me. And it's not that we want to sign up for more suffering and it's not that God doesn't comfort us when we're not suffering. It just means that God makes up the difference. 2 yeah. Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, we then as workers together with him beseech you that you also receive not the grace of God in vain. For he said, I have heard you in an accepted time accepted in the day of salvation have I succored you. That means to protect or to, uh, to comfort, to love, to build up. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments. Anybody want to still be a Christian? In tumults and labors and watchings and fastings by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. If you remember last Week, Brother Graham's message, you know, I am weak, then am I strong? Well, here we go sorrowful yet rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things here what paul is saying is yes there's sufferings yes there's imprisonments yes there's persecution yes there's things to deal with Uh, oh but the greater reality is that jesus christ uh, amen is our king and 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 his glory and his power and His, his name and and eternity again he's showing us the comparison of don't get so focused on the here and now that you forget the there and then Colossians 1.24, again, New Living Translation. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for His body, the church. That last phrase there indicates that there's going to be suffering throughout all ages until Jesus comes. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I'm thankful for that, are you? For it became Him who are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, the captain of their salvation, made perfect through sufferings. James 5, 10, and 11, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. We're not there yet in in this sermon series that we're doing through 1 Peter, but we will be eventually. But watch what he says here. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Man, we need to remember that, don't we? Why am I going through this? Don't think it strange. It's happening because you're a believer. It's happening because you practice your faith in Christ. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Again, the difference between the temporal and the eternal. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is Glorified. Amen. In other words, if we'll endure, others will see Jesus. Amen. Others will see a reflection of the Lord Jesus through what we go through. They'll say, Man, that person's different. I would handle it this way, but they're handling it that way. And they'll see a glimpse of Jesus. So let me just say this don't buy the lie. That says living for God is freedom from suffering. You will face trying times. You will possibly be persecuted for your faith. In 2022, the advocacy group Open Doors reported that at least 360 million Christians experienced quote-unquote, high levels of persecution and discrimination. This was 20 million higher than in 2021. This same group also estimated that the number of Christians killed for their faith rose 124% from 21 to 22. Other sites, such as Christianity Today and others, reported the same numbers. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Oh, I know, this is not our favorite verses. This is not aisle running stuff. Nobody's ready to start, you know, jumping up and down saying, preach it. But it's true. It's the Bible nonetheless. It's the word of God nonetheless. But with all that we suffer, again, I want to draw your attention to the fact that there's a difference between the temporal and the eternal. Listen to what Paul wrote at the end of chapter 8 of Romans, beginning at verse 35, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword?' It's a true story of a of a, a Jewish man who was being uh, you know vehemently persecuted in, in, in I don't know which Nazi camp I can't remember that part of the story right now but anyway one of the the uh, Nazis who was uh, practicing this and pouring out this persecution upon him one day looked at him and he says, I don't understand you. We've, we've taken you from your homeland. We've separated you from your family. We've, we've taken away your dignity. We've, we've killed your countrymen. We have, we have done all these things against you and to you and so forth. And he said, yes, sir, you've done all those things and, and more. He says, but there is one thing you cannot do or take from me, and that is my choice of how I will respond to you. And that kind of sums up here what Romans is saying. Hey man, these things may happen, but nothing can separate us from the love of Christ except ourselves. That's left out of the verse. We can turn our back and walk away if we so choose. I just don't choose. Hallelujah. Real quickly, before I move on into 1 Peter here uh, and, and get to the, the heart of, uh, of our text, I want to give you a three-pronged approach to endure suffering. It's found in Romans 12.12. 12. I like verses like that because they're easy to remember. 12.12. 12. Okay, so here we go. Romans 12.12. 12, here it is. Rejoicing in hope, number one. Patient in tribulation. That means to endure that long suffering. And continuing instant in prayer. So in other words, if you'll have joy... And hope, that's number one. If you'll endure patiently through your suffering, and if you'll be prayerful during it and through it and after it and before it, you're going to make it, and you're going to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, let's take a look here and dig into, the ver- into our text a little bit deeper. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For this is a thankworthy For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it? When you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. So first of all, let me just say a good conscience is how you endure acceptable suffering. That's why we bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That's because we think differently. We have the mind of Christ to help us to think differently, amen? So we can see throughout the Bible, there are six different verses that reveal six different conditions of conscience. I did not give you these. I'm gonna run through them fast, so don't worry about it. Just keep the, the title screen up for now, if you will. But the first one is a good conscience. It's exercised in faith, and it prevents swerving from the truth. We find this in First Timothy uh, chapter one, verses five through seven, 18 through 20. We also see in First Timothy three, eight through 11, a pure conscience which gives us the qualification uh, for service if you want to be a deacon in the church. We see though, in Titus chapter one, a defiled conscience gives people an impure look outlook on life. We also see that a weak conscience in First Corinthians eight hinders. Spiritual freedom. We also find out in Hebrews that an evil conscience has to be cleansed before you can uh, appropriately uh, and properly approach God. And a seared conscience in 1 Timothy 4 opens a person up to spiritual seduction and the doctrines of devils. In other words, the condition of your conscience, the way you think, the way you process, determines how you will perceive suffering. If it's defiled, Weak, evil, or seared, you risk believing a lie and being damned. But if you have a good and a pure conscience, you'll want to endure and be acceptable to God. Brother Carol Magruder, he's passed on now, but he was the first I heard say it. I don't know if he's the originator of the quote, but it goes like this. It's hard to live for God easy, but it's easy to live for God hard. Hard. When I hear that quote, I think of 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20. Let me read it this time from the New Living Translation. For God is pleased when, conscience of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. In other words, if I commit a crime and I pay for it, well, and I endure and I become a good person in jail, good, I should have done that anyway. I should have not got to jail in the first place. That's what it's saying there. But if you suffer for doing good, if I go to jail for preaching the gospel, if I go to jail for doing good, not a crime, and I endure that patiently, God is pleased with me. You see, enduring unjust treatment is made easier when you remember that Jesus suffered unjustly. Even the thieves, at least one of them, recognize we're getting what we deserve but he doesn't deserve it i would even say at least the roman centurion recognized that jesus didn't deserve truly this is the son of god that is why a good conscience alone is not enough we have to have it but we have to bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of christ Yes, we need to change our perspective, but we can't do it alone. We need to take them to Christ and remember what He did. We need to follow His example. Take a look at Philippians 2, 5, and 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But what did He do? He made Himself of no reputation. That means He didn't defend Himself. Pastor Lucas, when they, when they railed on him, he didn't defend it. And he could have defended it. He could have said, you're wrong. Instead, he let him rant and rave. And he let God defend him. Can I tell you, we could learn about that a little bit. Well, I've got to stand up for myself. You do? Really? The Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But watch what he did. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Those others, those thieves that were with him and others who were crucified would fight and struggle, and and, and it would take many different soldiers to hold them down, to to pound the spikes through their hands. It would take multiple soldiers to, to do this because but, but, but Jesus just laid Himself down. It didn't take all them soldiers to, to hold Him down. He gave His life. He endured the unjust suffering. And so, what are we called to do? We're called to follow Christ's example. And that's what verses 21-24 through 24 of 1 Peter is talking about. That we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 21 tells us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. I like verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That is why a good conscience alone is not enough, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So my conscience alone is not enough because I've sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he didn't. So I can change the way I think, but I also need him and his mind and also his spirit. I need to be born again. You know, everyone wants to be like Jesus until it means suffering like he did. We want the Jesus that, you know, turns water into wine and, you know, uh, feeds the 5,000. and We want the Jesus that walks on water and raises the dead and all of that. But what about the Jesus that suffered? Do we want to pick and choose? You know, Thomas Jefferson had a Bible that he had cut and pasted out of the things he believed or didn't believe. And, and, and he would, you know, create a Bible of his own. It's it was, it infamously called the Jefferson Bible. Ironically, he didn't want it to be found out, but it was. You know? But, but you can't do that. You can't cut and pay. Well, I want this part of Jesus, but not that part. You know, it's not multiple choice. One of the things I tell couples when, when you know, I'm meeting with them before they get married is, you know, your vows that you're about to take are not multiple choice. I'll take better instead of worse. I'll take health instead of sickness. I'll take richer instead of poor. It don't work that way. <laughs> Sorry. Same with God. Okay, I'll I'll obey seven out of ten commandments. That gives me a 70% average. I'm good. It doesn't work that way, does it? Okay. Let me say it this way. You'll never realize the glory of the empty tomb unless you've endured the suffering of the cross. We want the glory of that empty tomb and resurrection morning, but... What does it take to get there? It takes a garden of Gethsemane where we're betrayed. It takes a Calvary where we're crucified. Philippians 3, 7, But what things were gained to me, Paul said, I, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done that I may win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness of which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Watch this. In the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Jesus did nothing to deserve Calvary. He willingly became flesh and willingly became our sin so that he could reconcile and redeem us, making it possible for us to become his righteousness. That's why he's the mediator between God and man. Popular preachers will tell you, don't worry about suffering. God shields you from all that. But that's not what the Bible teaches he is our shield. He is our buckler. He is our, our protection. But sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and he's, he hasn't left us. He's with us. Sometimes we face dark trials and dark situations, but he's there and he's our light despite the darkness. You know, I can, I can relate here. And let me just, let me just say this. I, 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 wanna, I, I believe in miracles. I've seen them. And I know I'm going to see more. I've experienced them. And although I haven't been persecuted for my faith, as, as some have, like that advocacy group uh, reported, I have been ridiculed. I have been mocked. I have had people tell me they don't believe the truth anymore and leave. Walk out the door, never to return, turning their back on God. I can relate to Paul, because there's been a few demises that I've worked with that have Love this present world more than the gospel. And in those moments, I have suffered some mental and emotional trauma, asking myself, What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? So on and so forth. One of those times I was sitting right over here on the front row, and I'm just, you know, why me, God, and all this stuff. After God, you know, finished hearing my complaint, He gently spoke to me and reminded me of His love and peace, and if I just do what I can, He'll do what He can. In other words, you know, Myron, you be Myron and I'll be God. You see, our, our, our desire to not suffer, our desire to, to forego some of these things is because we want to be God. It goes all the way back to the garden. If you'll eat this fruit, you'll be like God. I'm already like God. I ain't eating your dumb fruit. But I don't need to be God. Amen. Amen. Jesus' example enables me and you to, um, to endure and to persevere. You know, Jesus loved Judas even though he betrayed him. Jesus loved Peter even though he denied him. Jesus loved his disciples even though they all abandoned him except John. Jesus loved the remnant of Israel even though most of them rejected him. And so, when I suffer, I'll do my best to follow Christ's example. I'll love And forgive despite how I feel. You see, our human tendency is to fight back and to demand our rights when we suffer wrongdoing. But again, I want to remind you that's human nature, not spiritual nature. What if instead we chose to stand still and see the salvation? of the Lord. Could it be that God would defend us as we submit to him and let him fight our battles? I think so. Listen to what Romans 12:16 through 21 says. Be of the same mind toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. And that doesn't mean to be condescending, it means to, you know, get on their level with them. Be not wise in your own conceits, recompense to no man evil for evil. That's the carnal way. He hit me, I'm going to hit him. That's a carnal way. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you live peaceably with all men. I like that verse because some people don't want to live peaceably. But I need to do everything I can. I need to exhaust every resource I have in order to try that. And if, if, if it fails, at least I've tried. Dearly beloved, avenge not your, yourselves. <clears throat> Let me read that again. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That includes Facebook. I'm going to read that one more time just for, you know, it's good preaching. Yeah, I know, man. I'm trying. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. I used to think that that meant... You'd set them on fire. As a little kid, I'd hear that verse, and I'd think, oh, I'm going to be good to them, all right. Their heads are going to catch on fire, and they're going to burn. <laughs> burn, sinner. Ah! You want to treat me that way? I'll be so good to you, you'll just catch on fire. You know, can you imagine, by the way, can you imagine if really the little joke rhyme thing we used to say, you know, liar, liar, pants on fire, can you imagine if that really happened? Somebody's in court and they tell a lie and all of a sudden their pants catch on fire. <laughs> you know. That'd be a good way to, you know, quell lying in the world. Whew, I'm telling you. But that's not what that means by the way. It doesn't mean that their head is going to catch on fire. It doesn't mean God's going to light, you know, some, some hot coals and use their head to barbecue with. It means they'll be shamed by what they did to you. And they'll feel the shame of, I treated them this way, but they did not return it to me that way. That's what it's saying. And that's why he ends with verse 21 by saying, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what that verse tells me? That as evil as this world can get, and as much as evildoers will wax worse and worse, that good can still overcome it. Did you know that duty is always connected to doctrine? Paul revealed this in his epistle to Titus. we got a lot of scriptures today. Uh, sometimes the media team likes to joke with me that I use a lot of scriptures. And my point is, well, it is a church. you know. I was at a youth camp one time, and I was the daytime camp teacher. And they said, you got to use a lot of scriptures. I'm like, well, it's a Bible camp, right? I mean... That's what I thought I was supposed to use. I mean, I'll come back tomorrow with Sports Illustrated if you want, but... Okay. Anyway. Titus 2, 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not stealing, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Notice how duty is related to doctrine. The duty of being a good servant, of just you know going through life without... you know making, you know, upset the apple cart, if you will, reveals the doctrine of God. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You know what God spoke to me when I was looking at this? You know how the grace of God appears? Through the dutiful practice of those who are suffering. That all of a sudden, I'm being mistreated by my boss, I'm being mistreated by my neighbor, I'm suffering over here, and I return good for evil, and they see grace. Grace appears to all men through my actions. Jesus said to do good works so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So me returning good for their evil reveals Jesus and reveals grace. And now grace comes to do what? To teach them to deny ungodliness. Wow. That's a new paradigm on that verse. Grace comes and now they see it through my lifestyle and I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be like you. I don't want to be like me. Well, you don't want to be like me, you want to be like Jesus. Well, that's what I meant. Well, let's do it. Let's let grace teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Let's live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Why? Here it is again the difference between the, the temporal and the eternal, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, the reason I can return e- a good for evil is because there's a hope beyond this world. There's a hope beyond the pain. There's a hope beyond the suffering. Amen. And if I die in my suffering, if, if somehow I am persecuted for my faith, my last breath here, my last thought here is my first in eternity with Him who f- gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity, purifying Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You see, Peter writes his epistle, going back to our original text, and he also connects duty to doctrine, pointing to Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. And while it is inspired from God, I believe God also uses Peter's own experience to illustrate the message. And here's what the message is. God's people serve through suffering. Get that in your mind. God's people serve through suffering. In his early days with Jesus... Peter opposed suffering and tried to stop Jesus from fulfilling his purpose on the cross. You might remember that story. I believe it's recorded in Matthew 16. Peter gets the keys to the kingdom, you know. God gives them to him, and boy, he's all that in a bag of Fritos, and whoo, I got the keys. A few verses later, Jesus is talking about suffering. He goes, no, Lord, it won't happen that way. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He was not calling Peter Satan. Peter had got lifted up in his pride. Peter had got lifted up in the here and now and didn't realize that Jesus come for a greater purpose. And, and since I got the keys, I'm going to lock that door. I ain't going to let you suffer. He said, no, 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 no. That's, that's what Satan wants to do. I, I have to suffer. If you, if you jump to Luke after the, the resurrection and just before his ascension, he says, thus it behooved Christ. In other words, it means it had to happen this way. There had to be a death and a burial and a resurrection, which so happens to be repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It had to happen this way, Jesus said. He had to redeem us from under the law. And so the vital lesson that Peter learned that day is we lead by serving and we serve by suffering. And this kind of suffering always leads to eternal glory. That's why it's called acceptable suffering. Peter goes on to encourage the church today, presenting three perspectives of Jesus Christ. First, he tells us here that he is our example to follow. We've kind of covered that a little bit from verses 21 through 23. Jesus proved uh, that a person, I want you to catch this, a person can be in the perfect will of God, be greatly loved by God, and still suffer unjustly. Let that just sink in for a minute. Jesus, as a man, I know he's all God. He's also all man. He wept. He was hungered. He was tired. He was thirsty. All of those things. He suffered. He felt the emotional trauma of betrayal. All those things. He proved that a person can be in the perfect will of God, be greatly loved by God, and still suffer unjustly. So those who propagate a message a false one I might add that Christians won't suffer if they're in the will of God have not studied Calvary his humility his submission revealed his authority and his anointing he was not weak and he was not passive the Bible tells us he could have called down thousands of angels he could have called upon the armies of heaven to fight for him but he didn't and so Peter here is exploring this and and. and in, even though we are saved, and Peter is predominantly speaking to people that are saved, if you're not, you need to get saved because he tells us that Jesus is our substitute. And, and that substitute is both because we can't atone for our own sins, but that substitute is also what I mentioned earlier, how that we need to have that good conscience, but we also need to make sure that we are filled with his spirit. Verse 24, who himself bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. We need a substitute. Jesus had to be that substitute. In fact, this reflects a lot of what Peter wrote, or excuse me, what Isaiah wrote in, in chapter 53. And I won't take the time to read it all, so you don't have to put it up. But here we know from Isaiah 53, it, it's, it's 12 verses uh, go on and on revealing uh, Calvary and revealing Jesus' suffering and revealing uh, the stripes on his back and so on and so forth. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Uh, The chastisement of our peace was upon him and so on and so forth. In fact, did you know that the word forgive in Hebrew means to lift up, to bear, to take away. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was lifted up on a cross and he bore the sins of man and he took them all away? I'm so thankful for that. How fitting then that Jesus is our substitute. Kind of like the song I believe Isaac Watts wrote in the 1800s. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head For such a worm as I, was it for crimes that I had done? He hung upon the tree. What amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart roll away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It's songs like that that take us back to the reality that He's our substitute, that without Him we couldn't make it. That without His example and without His substitute, without His sacrifice, I couldn't be here today. This would be nothing more than just a club. But because of His example and because of His sacrifice and because He's our substitute, this is a church and we're the body of Christ today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And that brings us to verse 25 for you were a sheep going astray. Can anybody relate to that? Even if you've never backslidden, you know, you were a sheep going astray. It's it's encompassing of all of humanity. Without God, we're, we're just strays. But now, what did He say? You're returned under the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I want you to think about the beautiful paradox of that. The shepherd... Bible calls him the good shepherd in John 10. Uh, I believe it's James calls him the great shepherd. Peter even calls him the chief shepherd. <laughs> the shepherd, Sister Alicia, gave his life for the sheep. The shepherd died for the sheep. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. But not only did he do that, not only was he our sacrifice, but he's also the bishop of our souls, meaning he lives forever. That word bishop is overseer. He's the overseer of our souls forever. Hallelujah. Our Lord accepted the call to suffering. Our early Christian family, Pastor Lucas, you texted me this the other day, met it head on knowing in whom they believed. They didn't shirk away from it. You study the, the early, the Bible. You study some of the first centuries and even, even on. And even today you can study of, of people, but they, they didn't shirk away from it. They, they embraced it. So should our commitment be any less? Many parts of the world we're seeing the church family Persecuted. And these people are actively seeking God and, and they're paying the price that if they're found out, they could die. Some have stayed faithful through great sicknesses, life-altering terminal diseases. I, I can tell you one uh, story just real quickly, tell you the brief you know, bullet points of it, the, uh, of, of a preacher that got Alzheimer's and 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 you know have that glassy look and wouldn't remember things and one day his wife came into his study and And that glassy look was gone and he was very clear and and he spoke to her and he says, I just want you to know I do not blame God. And and in a a moment of clarity, begin to just witness to her and testify to her. She went into the kitchen crying and thanking God that maybe her husband was going to be healed. A few minutes later, she comes back in the study and once again, he was glassed over. He never again had a clear moment before his death, but it was as if God gave her a glimpse into his true heart to say, I'm not judging God for this. I don't know why I've got this Alzheimer's. I don't know why i'm suffering with this i preached healing my whole life i don't know why god's healing me but i'm going to trust him to the end and if listen if other people can do that should we be expected to do any less are we committed to less Hmm. how hard is it to preach god can heal and not experience it yourself Listen, in this very church, there have been some who have received, a, a, you know, a, a miracle, and others who have not. Listen, as your pastor, there have been times I'm like, God, excuse me, what's going on here? There's people in this church that want to have children, and yet God takes me down to New Mexico, and I'm walking by a couple, and God says, "Tell them I'm going to have a child." I'm like, Really? What about the people I pastor? I'm I'm being transparent with you for a minute to tell you that sometimes it doesn't make sense. But here's what I've learned to do. I've learned to trust God despite what doesn't make sense. I've learned to persevere despite the the questions. Here's what I found out about God. You can ask Him all the questions you want to. He's never going to curse you. He's never going to damn you. He's never going to get upset with you for asking questions. He just might not answer them. But Psalm 119 The 11th stanza presents three questions that the psalmist asks, and not one of them get answered. But after each one, he says, yet I will trust, and but I will. And there's a conjunction that follows each one of them that basically is saying, God, I might not get the answer to my question, but you're God, and you're good, and I'm going to die serving you. It's the but if not kind of faith that three Hebrew boys had when they looked at a pagan king and said you can turn it up as hot as you want to. You can make all the rules you want to. But we're going to die standing if that's what it means. We're not bowing to your idols. Can I tell somebody that even if God doesn't do it the way you think He should, you can still trust Him. You can still persevere. You can still endure. Because there is a day coming when there is no more death. And there is no more sickness and there is no more pain (laughs) hallelujah and if I'll keep my eyes focused on that blessed hope I'll realize then I can make it Paul suffered with a thorn in his flesh. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. He asked the Lord three different times, please remove this. Please stop this. And God said, I'm not stopping it. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to give you sufficient grace to endure it. Because why? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes I'm weak and I'm being attacked and I don't understand it, but He's still God and He's still good and He might not remove it, but I have grace that is sufficient. Hallelujah. James states that God gives more grace. He quotes from Proverbs 3.34 how that God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble so I'm not going to get lifted up in my pride, Pastor Lucas. I'm not going to fall into that trap. Instead, I'm going to stay humble and say, God, you're worthy. God, you're good. I don't understand it. I've got unanswered questions like the psalmist, but I trust you. Can I say it like Job did? Though he slay me yet will I trust Him. God's amazing grace enables you to endure suffering, realizing the eternal value of becoming like Jesus Christ in the process. So if you feel like a lost sheep today, I want you to know that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is searching for you. He wants you to return. If you're watching this online and you're a prodigal, come on home. Come on home. There's a robe and a ring and a fatted calf for you. Come on home. Return to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Peter, I imagine when the Holy Spirit prompted him to write that verse, I have a feeling that he reached back into his mind. Hey, remember the Travis? I believe he might have thought back. I ran away. I denied him. I wept bitter tears. Oh. But when I saw him from the boat on the shore, I dove in and swam fast as I could because I wanted to return to the shepherd. I have a feeling when he wrote those words, he was writing them with tears because he knew what it meant to return to the shepherd and bishop of his souls. And I want somebody to hear today, whether you're backslidden in heart or maybe in mind or literally, if that's you, come on, return to Jesus today. If you've been questioning why you're suffering, return to Jesus today. He's the shepherd. He's the bishop of your souls. Hallelujah. Any parent in this room knows that your children learn things and as they get older, they learn more and you do your best to shield them from as much as possible. You do your best to keep them as innocent as possible for as long as possible. But the day has to come when they have to learn some of the harsh realities of life. Some of your children are not there yet. I just want to remind you of that. But as they start to move into adolescence, as they start to grow older, and that sometimes they, they're going to start running just by default Anyway. My point is, as a parent, sometimes you know what's best for your children. Don't you think God knows what's best for us? And so, Sister Nancy, let's stand together. I'm almost done. That question I mentioned a minute ago, I'm I'm there in New Mexico, and God's telling me to prophesy over this couple, and they did get a baby. You heard the testimony. The brother was here, he preached, he shared it. I gotta hold that child. I'm the surrogate papa now. (laughs) Here's the answer to that question. God knows best. I don't understand it. There's not a mathematical equation. There's not even really a verse that I can go to except ones like Job. I'll trust him despite not knowing. So I want to encourage you today as we close this first word. If you've got questions about your suffering and what you're enduring... Would you just know that Jesus cares more for you than you or anybody can care for you? Let's lift our hands and our voices right now. Jesus, I have delivered Your Word as You have delivered it to me, as weighty and as sobering as it is. And I pray today that those of us who are here that sometimes misunderstand what we're going through, myself included, that You would speak Your peace. God, I'm not even asking for the answers to everything. I know there's no way I could fully understand it until I'm in a glorified body anyway. So Lord, I speak for myself and I believe I'm speaking for these precious, wonderful saints that we're just going to trust You. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes, we're going to trust You. We're going to keep our hope and our faith in You. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Take some time during the break. If you want to come around the front or whatever, but just take some time to meditate on this. And and today, take some time to think on this. God bless you. We'll see you in about 10 minutes. Hallelujah, Jesus.